0: So in this week's parasha, we have this incredible dream that Yaakov experiences where Hashem promises him amazing things, uh, proliferation of children and the inheritance of the land of Israel, that God is going to protect him and will not forsake him wherever he goes and bring him back to the land of Israel. It's a pretty amazing thing. And just like, I wanna make a simple point I I made it a little bit this morning in the class, but I I really feel like it it deserves more attention. I tried to imagine if I had a dream like that (laughs) and somebody started up with me or did something that I wasn't happy with, what would I do? Like, I I literally have this guarantee from God that I'm invincible. I'm invincible. And that God is not going to forsake me and that God has to protect me and that God is going to bring me back to the land. I think I would have a really difficult time taking any of my adversaries seriously and not belittling them <laughs> either in my mind or directly and saying do you know who you're dealing with <laughs> right that that's what comes up for me i mean who wouldn't like to have that that feeling of security and backing and power directly from god so that when we're confronted with a major challenge we're like whatever you know, like, like we have the winning ticket, like we know, you don't know, but I know, right? So my point is that when you read the story of Yaakov you see nothing of that, nothing. His father-in-law, you know, literally deceives him and gives him the girl that he specifically asked not to have, and he lives with it. He doesn't say, uh, Lavan, you—you know who you're messing with. You are toast, buddy. I am out of here now. I have a promise from God. I'm going back today, and I'm taking Rachel with me. You can go jump in the lake. He doesn't do that. And the question is, why not? I mean, he, seemingly God said, "I'm with you. I'm—I I'm, won't forsake you. I'll, you know, I'll protect you." So why is it that Yahoo? suffers for 20 years as a shepherd for a wicked deceitful man that's by his own daughter's admission sold his daughters and tried to you know completely manipulate and and leave Yaakov empty-handed and Yaakov goes along with it even though he has this ironclad you know okay I shouldn't say ironclad, I'll qualify that in a moment, even though he seems to have this tremendous guarantee from Hashem. So the reason that the rabbis say that in Yaakov's mind, nothing is ironclad is because, at least this is one approach, Yaakov knows that he's only meriting this protection and these promises of Hashem if he does not sin, he doesn't become wicked himself. And a truly righteous person knows that it's very hard to be perfect even though the Torah maybe calls him perfect earlier. And uh, certainly the, the proof is in the pudding. He produces, you know, the 12 tribes. But Yaakov himself doubts his own righteousness. And because of that, he never views himself as having this security blanket that I'm describing. Now, What I was thinking about, you know, when I was thinking about that interpretation, I was still wondering, okay, you know, come on, really? I mean, if it was me still, you know, would I really not feel a little bit emboldened by this guarantee by Hashem? And so I'm not sure about that. But I do think that it's not unfair to say that when Hashem says, I'm not going to forsake you, what he's really saying is something different. I'm with you in your process, but I don't tell you that your process is guaranteed. I'll work with your decisions. If your decisions land you in hot water, okay, uh, you know, I'll be with you. I'm going to prevent you from completely disintegrating and becoming a failure, but I'm not going to solve all your problems for you. Because if that's what God was saying, instead of God saying, I won't forsake you, he would have said, I'm going to guarantee you're winning. In every situation, he doesn't say that because really that is what Hashem wants from us. Hashem wants from us to make our best decisions, to make our best choices, knowing that we might fail sometimes, but he won't abandon us, meaning he'll help us with whatever choice we made to get to the next step, to get to a better step, and hopefully in the long run to succeed. But it doesn't mean that everything that we do, God is going to make sure that it's the right lottery ticket, that it's the right business to do, that it's the right uh, chesed project to do. There, there's no guarantees like that from Hashem. And I think that that's really important because we need to learn this from Yaakov Ruvinu. We need to have the resilience of people that know, hey, look, the Jewish people are the chosen people. One day we are gonna be the inheritors of the land of Israel. We just read in the Midrash here that you know kings from all over the world are gonna come to visit the base of Mikdash and the holy temple and to bring presence, you know, to the Mashiach in such a ubiquitous and all the time fashion that it's going to be commonplace. Yeah, we know that, but there's no guarantees on how we get there. We have to do the figuring out of how to get there. We just have to know that, you know, God doesn't completely forsake us and he will try, so to speak, to make sure that we succeed, but it's only through the choices that we make, not saying, whatever choice you make, I'm gonna make sure it's the winning ticket. I'm gonna make sure that you win. Uh, God doesn't do that. We have to learn all the time about how to make good choices. And then just to conclude, and then we'll get to your questions or comments or points of view, but uh, just to conclude, you know, along the way, amazing things happen and very, very, very difficult things happen. Uh, The woman that he loves, He only produces two children with her, Rachel, the one that was really his love. And when she gives birth to the second one, she dies at a very young age with this promise and guarantee that came from Hashem. Rachel did whatever she did. Yaakov did whatever he did. And they seem to have some culpability for their own lack of a longer term marriage because she took her father's idols. He made a promise that whoever stole those idols should be, you know, cursed. You know, they have some culpability in that. That's, you know, not cool, to say the least. You know, people lose their wives, especially at a young age. They tend to be very bitter people, you know, assuming they love their wives, hopefully the case. Um, they tend to be very bitter and angry that that happened to them. You know, Yaakov Vito accepts his responsibility despite having, you know, what seems to be a tremendous promise from God. It's tremendous. I mean, the vision that he had, angels going up and down the ladder, this is the gateway to heaven. And he loses his wife at a very young age. Not cool. And there are many other things like that. I don't want to go into detail, but we need to learn that kind of resilience in our own relationship with Hashem and in our own perseverance of, you know, getting up and facing the struggle, especially nowadays. Things are more and more challenging for many, many people with the economy, with the political situation here and in Israel and across the world, anti-Semitism, you know, everything is very challenging. It really is. But we have to learn from the resilience of Yath to really face the next challenge, knowing that at the end, we, we know what's going to happen. How, we gonna, how we're going to get there, that's not at all clear. But We can't, Hashem doesn't abandon us, and we can't abandon our responsibility for taking the next steps. Any questions or comments? Thank you. Is is there any explanation for those that pass away at a young age? I I know that we've briefly spoken about this at another class, but. uh, Say again? Is there a general explanation that uh, for those that pass away at a very young age, unexpectedly, um, of course, I don't think there's a general rule of thumb, but I think that we have mentioned something along those lines in another class, but less specific. So the short answer is no. Uh, I'm not a fan of the explanations that people like to give, which is Kabbalistic. uh, Previous lifetimes, next lifetimes, blah, 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 blah. I'm not a fan of those. I'm not saying that there isn't any truth to them, but I don't think we're meant to explain it. I really don't think we're meant to explain it. Um... The only thing that I say about those tragic situations are that we don't understand the why, but we can very often understand the how to be, become better because of it. Um, and we have to know that for the per- person themselves that passed, you know, not only that they're with God, but that every person has their time. And uh, we don't understand why they have that time but every person has their timeline. You know, this is what King Shlomo says. There's a time for this. There's a time for, there's a time for dancing and rejoicing. There's a time for crying and eulogizing. Everything has its time. There, there are cycles of things in the world. We don't understand the lengths of them, uh, but we can understand uh, many, many good things that, that we're supposed to become because of them. Yes. In, on page 105 of Shabbos, I know, you know, and I think there's other examples of it, too. If you don't if you don't eulogize the Talmud Hachim properly, your children might uh, leave the planet early. You know, there are there are I mean, there's no like I don't know one particular, but, you know, there's there's lots of examples of it. Aren't there through throughout the Talmud? Of, yeah, because- you don't do this. You're going to get this punishments, you know. There are, but for us to really draw the dots, especially yeah. you know yeah. the, the connections, we're not going to know. Um, the one thing that those teachings help us with is to introspect ourselves, uh, and, and that that we're responsible to do all the time, even not in tragedy, yeah, but you know also in uh, forbidden tragedy. Um, I know a great story that I actually said over when I went to speak in Cincinnati that I heard from my father, that he was once teaching that the piece in the Talmud that says that for the sin of breaking one's vows, younger children die. He was once teaching that later that night, he gets a call from the husband of a woman who heard my father teaching. And he says, did you teach that? And he said, yeah, but you know, you know, you have to understand it and it's not so simple. And, you know, he's thinking like he's going to get in trouble for teaching. He says, he says, you don't understand my wife. So my wife thought to herself, maybe that explains why I have a child that is not Torah observant. Because one time, this is a real story, one time uh, I was working with my mother in the hotel business here in Miami Beach. And somebody came in and they said they had this brochure, they were guaranteed this room for a certain rate. And I explained to them it really wasn't that room, it was the other room. And they were unhappy about it, and my mother said, "Let it go." And I decided to, you know, to, uh, you know, to to stick to my guns and say that's not really what we meant. She said, "Maybe in that way I broke a vow." She went and she looked up the records from, like, you know, paper records from like decades before. She went and sent them a letter and refunded them the money, I think. And eventually, that son did, you know, their teshuva. Because she said in her mind, the person who doesn't, you know, recognize Torah and Hashem and the importance of study and, you know, observance, that's not real living. And so maybe that was my sin. So this is a story my father said over about Mrs. shalom she was an incredible woman, incredible woman. She never had her own day school Jewish education. And when she was in her 40s, she went to learn in high school with the seventh grade girls until they graduated 12th grade, she graduated with them. Like an incredible person, just an incredible person, built an incredible family. I'm privileged that one of her um, grandchildren married my daughter, you know, that's a, that's a great thing. But uh, the point is, is that that's an example where a person took that teaching and said, okay, how does that apply to me? Took action and, and you know, changed their lives because of it. That we can learn from those types of teachings. But to say, oh, well, you know, I know why that guy died, you know, <laughs> it's a pretty horrible thing, pretty horrible thing to do. Mm-hmm. And, and you see how it's not literal in this case, right? It's not literal. So at least in this example, you know, that we're drawing, i not saying it's the only way, I'm just giving that as an example.